live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 3, Episode 28. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. (laughs) Every damn week, while I'm mid-intro, I'm frantically looking for my Google Doc tab so I can know what episode this is. (laughs) Right after I say, Welcome to Millennial, my eyes start searching my screen for the tab. (laughs) 328. This is 328. (laughs) Andrew, what what is 28 divided by 4? Ooh. Divided by four? Well, that's seven. That's God easy. God damn it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but 28, point, or 28 divided by three is 9.33333333. So is three, like, is three the theme? I thought you were just picking whole numbers that, or I thought you were picking equations that resulted in whole numbers. No, you dork. <sighs> <laughs> no? Well, yes. See? Yes, but... But last week's was 3 to x 27, and 27 divided by 3 is 9. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I still don't. Checks out. It checks out. Checks out. <laughs> There's still no reason to announce that. No, 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 no. Stay woke, guys. I, Stay woke. <laughs> Stay woke. What? This is very millennial. Very millennial of us. What the fuck is going on? If you have to ask, Elisa, it just means you don't get it. I don't yeah, get you're it. you're too old. Holy shit. You did crack 30, so. Yeah, yep. that's true. You're not really, like, that much of a millennial anymore. Oh, hey. a state of mind. We have a hodgepodge of stuff to talk about this week. Hodgepodge, is that a cool phrase to use? Yeah, I think the kids are saying it. 70. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What, what, what's bothering you, Elisa? So, thanks to the, the good people over at Hypable, I learned oh. that... Fucking, the guy who wrote A Cursed Child is now writing the script for the final Star Wars movie, by which I mean, like, episode nine, like, the main Star Wars movie. I feel like people have a right to know this. I feel like (laughs) when human rights abuses occur in our own country, on our own soil, we should take a stand. And this really feels like that. I don't understand why they would entrust yet another classic legendary story to this fucking ass clown now i understand okay i get it cursed child is great when you see it in person because the production's wonderful and the actors are great but we're talking about the writer and i think pretty much across the board like 99 percent of the harry potter fandom agreed the writing was pretty shitty okay yeah production fine great yes writing just like, I mean, he just took a shit on a piece of paper and <laughs> called it a day. And now we're going to trust him with Star Wars? I feel I feel sick about this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, his name is Jack Thorne. He has written a bunch of stuff. I mean, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child isn't his only thing. He did do well with some projects. He wrote some episodes of Skins. He wrote some other plays as well. He's writing... A TV adaptation of The Golden Compass, I believe. Um, but yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what to think about it. It's so Colin Trevorrow, who directed Jurassic World, 
is directing Star Wars 9, and he wrote a script for Star Wars 9 with his writing partner. And now, which is normal, by the way, they're they're giving the script rewrites, and Lucasfilm hired Thorne, so... <laughs> so, like, are they... Is Rey gonna go back in time, like, all the way back to the beginning, like, prequels, and, like, find out that Darth Maul, like, fucking had a kid with Padma or something, and then... That yeah. kid yeah. is like in the future trying to fuck shit up. Is that, is that what's going to happen? About right. That sounds about okay. right. I think Ray will probably just like sprout wings at the end and, <laughs> you know, announce that she's like the heir of Ravenclaw. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we did learn today that the cursed child. The, the original West End cast is coming to Broadway. I'm really excited about that. And tickets go on sale in October. I'm so going to keep saving for Hamilton. No, come on. Come see nope. it. Come see it with me. Nope. Come on. Mm-mm. Me, you, Micah, Eric, Elisa can come. No, I won't. It'll be a... <laughs> wow well i really like the play yes i agree the script is is bad but i think it's really cool that their original cast is is going to reprise their roles because they were really good next up time for andrew to say i told you so trump has signed his russian sanctions into law lauren elisa last week did not think that was going to happen i thought yeah what happened girls it happened it happened and i think and i think that it probably happened because he knew that if he didn't sign it or if he vetoed it, it was just going to be overridden. So it was going to be law whether he signed it or not. And there's one thing Trump doesn't like. It's losing. He's a loser. He's a mm-hmm. sore loser. Mm-hmm. So let's not kid ourselves. This wasn't benevolent. This wasn't policy-oriented. Yeah. Well, and I'd also like to question whether or not he knew that that would be the ultimate outcome or if somebody around him was just like dude just fucking sign it come on i would like to question whether or not he even knew what he was signing i think that we could put (laughs) fucking anything in front we could put his death warrant in front of him and he'd sign it and hold it up like see see look what i did it's great look at my signature guys as other presidents have in the past To quote the New York Times, Mr. Trump protested that Congress was improperly interfering with his power to set foreign policy, in this case by imposing waiting periods before he can suspend or remove sanctions first imposed by Obama, while Congress reviews and potentially blocks such a move. Uh, Russia also retaliated before he even signed this. They kicked out 755 U.S. embassy staff members in Russia. Go home, kids. We're not happy with these sanctions. That's what Putin said. Maybe this is how we get him to admit to collusion. We put it in the form of like a bill. He definitely doesn't read it. We sit it on his desk and he signs it. And that's it. You know what else is happening? Comey's got a book deal. Oh, God. Yeah. Can't wait. Gonna pre-order. His is gonna be called, What Happened? (laughs) What happened, Hillary? Another I think I think he knows the answer to that, actually. <laughs> no, his book title, if, if Hillary's title is what happened, Comey's book title is just going to be a picture of him, like, you know, embarrassingly raising his hand, like, it was me, I happened, over here. <laughs> He'll just title it Redemption. 
the man in the blue curtains. Forgive me, America. <laughs> or, uh, Lordy, I hope there are tapes. Yes. <laughs> I would go with that one. Hope it's good. It, is, it doesn't seem like it's going to be like a tell-all. It He's going to be talking about leadership and decision-making that will draw upon his career in government. But you know there's going to be a whole section on what happens between him and Trump. Showboating again. I'm excited for I, the inevitable HBO miniseries about his life. Uh, HBO miniseries about Trump's presidency. That would be great. Yeah, that's All not going to be a miniseries. I think I that's need time. To be like, yeah, that's going to be like a full-blown movie um, in some like post-dystopian world. In which we don't, we no longer exist. Opening Do y'all day. remember, like a few years ago, when the the Frost Nixon movie came out, and you know, all of our parents were, you know, as adults looking back on this fucked up situation that they lived through as children. Mm-hmm. That's going to be us in like twenty years. <laughs> the Trump movie is going to come out, and we're all going to be like, "Yeah, I remember the Trump days." <laughs> <laughs> I have a uh, millennial life tip to share with everybody. We like to help out fellow millennials here. This wasn't an Onion article. You would think it is. I'm going to read the Wall Street Journal headline. But I'm not going to read the article because I'm being fucking blocked out unless I'm a member. What kind of bullshit is this? Millennials unearth an amazing hack to get free TV. The antenna. And it's a story about how millennials are discovering that you actually can get free TV by buying one of these antennas on Amazon or, you know, in Best Buy. And it's actually HD. I've actually had one of these before. So my life tip to people is if you do want free TV, you actually can get it and in HD. And there's no extra, there's no fees, there's no nothing. What kind of TV? You just have to have a good signal. Any HD TV. You 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 just you just plug it into the coaxial input on your television. You get you're not going to get HBO and shit, but you're going to get ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, CW, all the locals. Yeah, it's old school. Yeah, but a lot of people evidently don't know you can still do this anymore because everybody just assumes you need a cable box. But no, I know that seems random, but I just want to help people. You know? Yeah, you're doing God's work, Andrew. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, the big story in DC was that uh, Mooch, the Mooch, is out. <laughs> he uh, was the new communications director. He lasted a whopping 10 days. But then what happened was this terrible interview with the New Yorker came out where, and we talked about this last week, it, it had come out just as we were recording. Um, Mooch was like, I'm not the guy. I'm not like Steve Bannon. I'm not trying to suck my own dick. And Ryan's Priebus is schizophrenic. Um, and by the way, after we recorded that, Ryan's left. And so Mooch lasted a few more days after Ryan's left. And then Trump appoints John Kelly, former U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security, as his new chief of staff. And if you believe the reports, as soon as he was sworn in, he walked over to Mooch and was like, get the fuck out. (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love this. Uh, my favorite thing to come out of this was people on Twitter talking about things that they have experienced that have lasted longer than Scaramucci. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those? I, I put one up and I was really disappointed to see that a few other people beat me to it. But I put one up that was like, I've literally had menstrual cycles that were longer mm-hmm. than Scaramucci's tenure in Washington. Yeah, same. <laughs> you too, Andrew? You yeah. might want to get that checked out. I, I, I don't I don't think that's PMS so, for you. Sometimes episodes, episodes of Millennial feel longer than Mooch's tenure. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Um. Yeah, it was really, and it was just so. It was so. God, I mean, nothing shocks you at this point, but it it really just was like a a big fucking sigh moment for America. Well, it's especially because Trump is always like, I hired the best people, and so many people he's had to get rid of or who have quit. My my favorite piece of trivia about <clears throat> this is that the Mooch had just lost his family over this job. That's what I can't get past. He was hired yeah. <clears throat> he was hired by President Trump. He goes to work. His wife gives birth to his child. He doesn't go to the hospital to see his wife and newborn child. Text messages his wife a congratulations but says he can't come because he has to be there with Trump. She promptly files for divorce isn't speaking to him and then like literally 48 hours later is fired from that very job for which he sacrificed his marriage. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, you can't make this shit up. This is like days of our lives. Yeah. And I, I do not blame her. If my husband chose Donald Trump over our firstborn child. Nah. (laughs) Yeah. He had also sold one of his businesses off a few months ago because he thought he was going to be uh, getting the gig. And then Reince, again, a few months ago, put a stop to it. So he kind of had sold his business for nothing. And uh, so once again, you know, he was probably happy that he did sell his business so he could make room for this job. And then he gets fired. So he... He lost his business. He lost his wife. He he missed his kid's birth. I don't feel bad for him, by the way. It's his own stupid fault. He seems like an idiot. Yeah, and I think it's really it's it's really understandable and tempting to talk about the palace intrigue element of this, but I think the bigger takeaway is that we should be quite frightened of how capricious our president is. The fact that he would mm-hmm. hire someone for a communications director position, which is one of the more uh, forward-facing and important positions in the White House, and then fire them 10 days later after losing two prominent staff over that, by the way. He lost Sean Spicer and, you know, as you mentioned, Chief of Staff Ryan's Priebus, because neither of them wanted to work with Scaramucci. <clears throat> and none of that mattered to, to Trump. You know, literally one week he says, oh, no, you know, Scaramucci is so important and so great. He's just so, so fucking bigly talented, right? That that I'd rather lose two key staff and cause an uproar um, nationwide than than to not hire him. And then the very next week says, and eh, no, you're, you're out, you're out, you're done. 
like that yeah. that that mentality in general I find really frightening in a leadership position. Yeah. Because you can't predict them. You never know what they're going to say or do next. And that makes for great reality TV. It's real fun and funny. It does not make for a stable democracy. Yep. It just speaks to how 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 poorly he picks them. I mean, it's embarrassing. Um, there is other there is other Trump news we have to talk about. This was this was a pretty big bombshell. If it's as true as the Washington Post was painting it, right? Yeah, uh, this is, I think, the last bit of Trump news, but in some ways it's probably the biggest um, of, of in a while, actually. The Washington Post reports that President Trump personally dictated Don Jr.'s misleading statement about what his meeting with the Russians was about. You guys will recall that, you know, a few weeks ago that huge scandal broke where it was revealed that Don Jr., Paul Manafort, um, oh God, who was the third person that met? Uh, did, Kushner. Did you say Kushner? Kushner, yeah. Yeah. So Paul Manafort, Kushner, uh, and Don Jr. met with Russian officials. And, you know, the, the whole to-do about, about whether or not it was over, like, Russian adoptions, that's what they said. That's what Don Jr.'s statement said, that it was about Russian adoptions. Even though mm-hmm. the emails he published on Twitter clearly said it was about getting dirt on Hillary Clinton. Well, turns out that that statement lying and saying it was about Russian adoptions was crafted by President Trump himself. Number one, that's just weird protocol. Statements of this nature are never crafted by the principal by the actual person in office, you have a whole team of legal advisors who craft these sorts of things. I mean, we are playing with live ammo here. This is not a fucking joke. Any one of those people Mm. in that meeting could go to jail, could be fined up their asshole. I mean, this is huge. You don't have just a lay person craft such an important legal message like that. And yet, and yet we did. Two, secondly, the real, the, the real reason this is such huge news, I think, is because it personally implicates Donald Trump himself. There's been a lot of conversation about potential collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, but also a lot of conversation about how that could happen, and Donald Trump himself may still be innocent. It could be the people around him, Paul Manafort, etc., could be the puppet master, so to speak. And Trump is just, oh, he's, he's, just too, he's just too incompetent and dumb to be part of that conspiracy. Well, the fact that he personally demanded that they lie about that meeting shows that he's mm-hmm. covering it up, right? I mean, what other explanation is there other than that he wanted to cover up the truth about that meeting? Right. And it makes a lot of sense. It adds up because as somebody brought up on CNN last night, lawyers would not suggest blatantly lying like this. No. So it would have to take a real idiot to lie like this. And, well, who's an idiot in the White House office? Of course, Donald Trump. Well, and it just doesn't come as a surprise. I mean, this is the guy who on multiple occasions has disclosed 
very sensitive information to members of foreign governments, even. Yeah. Um, and like during interviews with the New York Times is like telling them really sensitive shit that doesn't look good for him. And it's not until he's in the car pulling away that his staff is like, Mr. President, why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, when they brought up that adoption thing, we all knew that was bullshit. You're like, oh, sure. You walked in, you walked in with this Russian lady and you guys were talking about adoptions during the heat of the election. No freaking way. And then, of course, as we saw all over the ensuing week or two after this original story came out about this meeting, there was like eight or nine people there. Half of them were Russian associates. Of course, the other big thing right now is that Trump apparently did not know that this meeting took place. And that still hasn't been proven false. This was apparently news to him when we all found out about it, that he met with all these Russians. But given that Trump is also sharing a, a you know, helping his his brother or his, his son-in-law dictate this response, I, it doesn't, con- that doesn't help me think that he didn't know about this meeting originally. Of course he knew. Of course he knew. It's just, this is, it, this is one of those cases where it's like, we all know, they know that we know, and we're just kind of waiting patiently for all the puzzle pieces to just sort of fall down and arrange themselves. Um, yeah. The question is, does anybody have the balls to do anything about it? Does, well. does Congress have the balls to say, yeah, okay, this has been fun. <laughs> Let's get out the articles I, of impeachment. Well, I cannot wait to see what Mueller's investigation reveals because however much we know, however many leaks are happening to us and the public, I can't, I mean, it has to be 10 times worse to Mueller, right? He has to know far more yeah. than, than, than we know. And if it looks this bad on the outside, imagine how bad it is on the inside. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. This is the stuff we know that has actually leaked. I got to be honest though. I've I've had a um I've uh I've been Oh, I don't know how to admit this to you guys. I'm over Russia. I'm so tired of it all. I don't care anymore. I feel like a Republican. I don't care about Russia. I think that's what they've been banking on. I think they're banking on people getting so burned oh. out with it being covered all the time and with none of the guilty parties really facing any consequences or anything else happening. So mm. I think they succeeded with you, Andrew. They did. I just, it, over the past week, I've just felt like, you know what? I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just so much. It's gone on for so long. Do you guys still care? Do you still feel like, are you still angry? Yes. Yes. <sighs> I I am. Yes, I care that a foreign government is interfering in our elections. Yes, I no, care a lot. Of course, that part. I mean, do you still believe that Trump colluded with Russia? That's the part that I'm like burnt out on that I'm not even sure is true anymore. I don't. Well, I mean, <laughs> look at what we were just talking about. That's did, did he personally himself collude deliberately and knowingly and maliciously? Um, I don't know. I really genuinely don't know. However, I do know that there has been the most unethical conduct I think we've seen from an administration mm. 
in generations since mm-hmm. Nixon. And by since Nixon, I mean including Nixon. If I, I think that I think that if there was any kind of collusion between the Russia between the Trump campaign and Russia, that that Nixon is a is a child's fairy tale compared to this. Yeah. Um and so I I, I do still care. I understand why you'd be burnt out on it. I don't blame you for just being like rolling your eyes and saying, ah, oh, God, this again. Um, I mean, it's a lot to take in and it's fucking everywhere, but I, I, yeah. I'm kind of not over it to be honest with you. I'm kind of still pretty fucking pissed. Yep. Okay. All right. I mean, this happened to me a few months ago too, where I stopped caring about what everything Trump was doing and then I started caring again. So maybe I just need a little break, need a little time off. Yeah. This, 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 you definitely need like mental health days away from, (laughs) away from news. I need a mental health month. Yeah. Elise has been enjoying my text messages over the past week. (laughs) Can you tell them why? Wait, what? (laughs) You pointed out the other night. So I've been, so I'm like on Twitter all the time, which is probably one reason I burn out on all this. I see the news like as soon as it happens. And so I love breaking to Lauren and Lisa that people in the Trump administration have been fired. Like when Reince is out, I sent three separate text messages. Reince is out. <laughs> and then Mooch is out. <laughs> you did that for Spicer too. You've done it for every yeah. person who's left. <laughs> At this point, I'm keeping a photo album of screen caps for every fallen soldier in Trump's cabinet or his administration. Here's Elisa two days ago. I swear I get half my Trump news from Andrew texting us. Blank is out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I, I, here's the funniest part is that I was out with um, my boyfriend and my brother a few, whenever, I think it was whenever, um, whenever Ryan's Priebus news broke. And I was like, oh my God, Ryan's Priebus is fired and, or Ryan's Priebus is left. And they're like, What? What? And like they open up their phones and they're looking on like the CNN app and all that and they can't find it. Like, where are you seeing this? What's your source? I'm like, oh, it's Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what? (laughs) I'm very well connected within the White House. (laughs) You know what? I had an unpleasant thought though. Well, I guess it is pleasant. With with Mooch leaving, Spicy and Reince only left because of Mooch. And then 10 days later, he's out. So part of me was like, are Spicy or Ryan's going to think about coming back? But then on the other hand, I'm like, well, they probably were just looking for an excuse to get out. So, Yeah, I think I if think they're so they smart, they're going to run far, far away. Yeah. Though, did you guys know that Spicer is actually like still involved until the end of August? Oh, no, I didn't. Like he's, Yeah, he's still working in the White House. He's not doing the daily press briefings anymore. But, yeah, he's still in the office, um, which I thought was kind of strange. That's awkward. Yeah. Okay, well, because um, one reason I, I found that, and then I looked into it further, Spicy still has the press secretary secretary Twitter account, at PressSec, and he's, like, still making announcements and stuff, which was kind of weird. But, yeah, he should just go. Maybe he'll make one of those rogue Twitter accounts. After he leaves, rogue <laughs> press sec. Yeah, <laughs> he should. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, one more story, and then we're going to talk about paying for Bay. 
So I wanted to talk about uh, something that's not been getting a whole bunch of attention, but I think is really indicative of a larger trend. <clears throat> a top environmental protection agency official who's been with the agency for 30 years, by the way, has just resigned in protest over the new direction of the agency under President Trump. Betsy Sutherland was the director of science in the EPA's Office of Water. And just this week, she ended her 30-year run with a scathing exit letter in which she said, quote, the environmental field is suffering from the temporary triumph of myth over truth. She went on to say, quote, the truth is there is no war on coal. There is no economic crisis being caused by environmental protection. And climate change is caused by man's activities. Um, and she, and she, she goes on to write a whole bunch of things about how, oh, this is the other quote. It may take a few years and even an environmental disaster, but I am confident that Congress and the courts will eventually restore all of the environmental protections repealed by this administration because the majority of American people recognize that protection of public health is right and is just. And with that, she said, you know, Sutherland out, mic drop, fucking peace. <laughs> so I, I want... is out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I want to talk about it because I think that there's probably been a lot of resignations like this at all levels of government that we're not necessarily hearing about. Um, and I mean, yeah. this, this was only being reported in like tiny little podunk outlets. Like, so I, I, I think it's important though, because these are, these are the foot soldiers, right? We hear a lot about the big names, like the agency heads, obviously the president himself and, and his cabinet, but the people on the ground, the foot like the federal workers who have been in the in their positions for 30 years, um, they're the ones with the institutional knowledge. They are the true experts who have been around forever, and we're losing them. So I guess my question is, right. are we okay with that? Because the idea of a protest resignation is really met with a lot of applause, and I understand why. But... Is it ultimately admirable or is it selfish? Because on the other side of that, don't we need people, good, smart people like this woman to stick it out for the sake of the country? Yeah. Well, she's not the first one. And I, like you said, and because uh, I've seen these others come up where they're everything they know. This is this is their career. They are the experts in, in their respective fields. Everything they know is upended by Trump and his administration being a being a dick about their job that they know and love. And they grow so fed up that they can't take it anymore and they have to leave. So I can't call them selfish because they're just being driven to the point where they're just, I assume, going insane. And so I can't blame them for that. Well, my other thing is, too, given the fact that these people are experts in their field... I feel as though they probably have a pretty good gauge on their effectiveness in that post at this point in this administration. And I feel as though if somebody like this um, Sutherland believed 
that there was anything that she can actually be doing in that job to make this better, she probably would have stayed. Um, but I have a feeling that a lot of these types of resignations come from people who sort of, like Andrew said, have their hands tied. And I'm very curious to know what she and others like her are going to move into doing, because I would love to see them all go private sector and just like really kind of like, I don't know, blow a hole in Trump's agenda by like coming up with some fucking badass science shit that like wasn't able to be funded by the government because they don't want to spend the money on it. Um, But I mean, if you get a few rich CEOs together, like Tim Cook and Elon Musk, and get them to fund some stuff, who knows what these people could come up with, you know? So I'm just really interested to see what her direction is going to be now that she's not with the EPA anymore. I I agree. I, I just think that this really poses an interesting ethical quandary because, mm-hmm. you know, do you, if you work for someone or a group of someone's, as the case may have it, that you believe are truly reprehensible and are taking the country in an awful backslide away from science and um, progress do you still work for them? Because on, on one hand, I can see how you wouldn't be able to really sleep at night, how your job is going to be miserable, you're going to be miserable. Uh, on the other hand, if you leave, they will just replace you with a, with a stooge, with a yes man, yep. someone who agrees with everything that they're saying and doing, and then now we're really screwed. And so I think the question really becomes, you know, one of what does it mean to what does public service mean mm-hmm. are you are you are you there for for the for your own personal betterment in your career or are you there for the betterment of your country and i don't think there's like a right or wrong answer or that it's black and white here i i'm just posing these questions because i really think that you know in some ways i count on people like her to be stewards of the truth. I count on them to be stewards of science in the face of overwhelming myth. And so when they throw up their hands and walk out, it's incredibly disheartening and it makes me feel like, oh God, well, now the battle just became that much harder. The resistance just became that much more impossible because now this woman who's, you know, by all rights, an appearance is wonderful and good at her job is going to be replaced by a fucking idiot who just thinks, Oh, climate change isn't real. (laughs) You know? Yeah. But I wonder if by doing it this way, if by quitting and walking out with the scathing letter, I mean, this is the first time I've ever heard of her. Right. And the first time I'm hearing about her is when she uses, she sacrifices her job to bring attention to what's going on. And I think that's ultimately the super admirable part about her act. She is certainly raising awareness. That is for, that is for sure. True. People could, someone like her could also go work for an individual state. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways right now, the States are who will save us from Trump. And I'll actually give you an example this week, 16 States are suing the EPA over its decision to delay implementation of the ozone pollution rule. You may remember that back in June, the new EPA administrator 
um, what was his name? Something Pruitt announced that the agency would delay the start date for the agency's 2015, i.e. Obama era, ozone standards until October 2018. The states that are suing say that by illegally blocking these protections, um, Scott Pruitt, that's his name, is endangering the health and safety of millions. So she could go fight on the state level if she wants. I agree. I actually really love the irony of this, like the fact that it's ultimately seeming to be like the states are going to be what saves us. The states, <laughs> yeah, right. The states, which collectively elected Trump. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the other irony of it, of course, is that the Republican Party's mantra is states' rights, states' rights. We hate the federal government. Oh, yeah. And like now it's the states that are like, actually, fuck you. Yeah. Like I said earlier, there's a million different things to talk about with Trump each mm-hmm. week. But did you guys also see Rasmussen? Trump's approval numbers in the Rasmussen poll this week are lower than any Obama received during his entire presidency. Yep. And what's significant about that is the Rasmussen poll is the one that's always that always leans right. That 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 Trump has frequently cited over the past few months when he's talking about his approval ratings. So now that even that one is looking pretty terrible. Well, I guess it really is terrible. Sad. Sad. <laughs> so let's talk um, something unrelated to politics. Um, on last week's After Dark, which was very good, by the way. Do check it out. Very long, too. Mm-hmm. I think it was close to 40 minutes. Um, we were talking about relationships and when you will say certain things in your relationship to your partner stuff like that and we we started to touch on or i brought up i can't remember exactly paying for your partner like how often do you pay for your boyfriend or your girlfriend and i said we should talk about it at greater length in a future episode so we're doing it this week and i'm calling it pay for bay is it right or is it wrong? Hmm. And the reason this came to mind is because I've seen relationships in which one person is paying very often, very often. And I personally do not approve of this. Um, it could be for a variety of reasons. But in one relationship I see, uh, uh, somebody I'm, um, I'm good friends with, gay couple, um, the guy who's paying for his boyfriend they don't have they have a good relationship but it's not but my friend does not want to get married to this guy and he has his problems with his boyfriend and one is that he doesn't make enough money and he's paying for everything and this guy doesn't have a lot of money my friend and obviously his boyfriend doesn't either and i always say to him i really think you got to stop shelling out so much for him because you're just screwing yourself over. And me personally, I would never be able to do that. Now, I I don't make I don't first of all, I don't make enough money to support two people right now. Um and just also in principle, I could not imagine paying for somebody all the time if you're just in a relationship. Even if you're living together, it just seems so unfair to you. It should be also noted that some relationships are are, are different. Um, one of our listeners, Riley, I was talking to him about this actually, uh, when we were together in New York for a few days 
And he's adamant about always paying down the middle. Everything. Doesn't matter how long the relationship's been going on. Pay down the middle all the time. Out to eat? Split the check. Waiter? Two checks, please. <laughs> um, and then sometimes it's even. Like in my last long-term relationship, it was mostly always even. Um, we would split checks, split rent, split utilities. You know, sometimes we would pay for the other person and then the other person would get the person just paid back. What, what, what's your, what's your, both of your takes on all this? Where do you stand with your bays? I, this is, it's funny that, that we're talking about this actually, because this is something that is sort of an ongoing conversation between me and my boyfriend. Um, uh oh. When I, I mean, in a, in a good, I mean, it's a good problem to have in our case because it's a matter of he is very inclined to pay for things. He's just a super nice guy. And has always been very generous with his money. Um, and so, he, you know, he, he just always started like paying for dinners and dates and things like that. But I would always try to to pay as well or to chip in or, you know, like you were saying, Andrew, one person pays one time and then the other person pays the next time. Um, and and we and we've got it's gotten a lot. It's gotten a lot more um, balanced. But in the beginning, he really insisted on paying for everything. And of course, on one hand, obviously, that's great. Like, <laughs> it feels great. But on the other hand, it also makes you feel guilty. And I think makes you feel like you're taking advantage of someone. And I didn't like that feeling. So we've, we've made it a lot more balanced now. But it was a conversation because he was really old school in the mentality that like, you know, he asked me out and he's the guy. Those two things combined, he felt like it was, it was, I want to say his responsibility, but that he wanted to. He was just inclined towards that. And after a while, I just started feeling way too guilty about it and had to like actually like take the card off, his credit card off the table and put mine in. I'd have to like physically like put myself between him and the waiter. So that he couldn't, he couldn't pay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's fine now. Well, but that's a good problem to have for you. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How about you, Laura? Where do you stand on um, this? So I've I've always been a let's go Dutch kind of girl. Uh, I've never been comfortable with the with the idea that men should pay for everything. Um, I collect a paycheck. I support myself. I don't need somebody to pay for everything for me. And quite frankly, I've had occasions where uh, men that I was dating would like get insulted or almost like borderline pissed that I wasn't letting them pay. And I'm just like not down for that shit. Like seriously, if you want some like 1950s woman to like stand barefoot and pregnant in your kitchen you can just get a fucking time machine my friend because i am not down for that shit um where i stand in my current relationship is that we've always been super balanced um from the very beginning we don't necessarily keep tabs or go to restaurants and request separate receipts and like analyze it down to the penny it's just very much like we get a check, we split it down the middle. One time somebody pays for something, the next time somebody else will get it. Um, we cook together a lot, which is a really good way to save money and spend time together so that you're not mm -hmm. like 
finding yourself in the situation where you're spending a ton of money eating out. Um, so I guess that would be my suggestion to anyone who finds themselves in a situation where they feel like mm-hmm. payment is sort of like inequitable between them and their partner. Um, but honestly, I'm really happy with the way my situation is because we're just very much like we like to treat each other pretty equally. So I think I agree. And I think that I think that women who first of all, there's problems on both sides, because like Laura said, there are men who feel like if they're not allowed to pay for everything in a relationship, that they're insulted by that. Somehow their masculinity is challenged. And I think there's also a control element there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and But on the on the flip side, of course, there are those women who, who really expect that, particularly early on in first dates. And I'm I'm not about that at all. I think if you don't at least try to to pay for yourself, that you're just rude. That's just ignorant. Mm-hmm. And and I think that yeah, you should try. You should at least try. Always, always, always. And and I think I think that when you don't, when you expect a man to pay for you, or you think that he should somehow, you're sort of I think implicitly saying that you're not an independent person and therefore you don't really have a right to get pissy when they start treating you like a dependent when they start you know asking you or or when they when they start just treating you i think like in, in like your auxiliary to the relationship like you're not as important you're not a complete equal in the relationship i kind of think that if you expect to be paid for all the time, you're not really equal in the relationship, frankly, because like you can't expect to be cared for and to be treated like that and also still maintain equal credibility across the board. That's not the way that life works. So just don't give up your power. Mm-hmm. I'm not about giving up my power. I need to maintain yeah. like control over myself and my independence. Well, and that's one of those situations where gender roles, where whereas you can look at something like this and say, okay, expecting the man to pay for everything is one example of how gender roles are really harmful to men. But you can also, yeah. like Elisa was saying, apply that to women. Like just because something is I think more commonly regarded as being a problem for people of one gender, you can just flip that on its side. And it's also a problem for the other side of the equation, because as Elisa was saying, it puts women in a submissive position, um, which is why like, fuck that shit. I, I'm not all about that. It makes me super uncomfortable if somebody is just like constantly insisting on paying for me. So no. Yeah. You're just a bitch. Really? Not you, Laura. I mean, like, if you're the person, if you're the person who, who really goes out on a date and expects that date t- to pay for you, like, you're just a bitch. There's, there's no other, I, I think it's bad manners. I think it's super rude. It's very now, tacky. It, 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 yeah. And, and that, that being said, I will, I will say this, however, I have also been in relationships where the, my partner, insisted on everything being split right down the middle all the time. Just like you were saying about Riley, Andrew, that rubs me the wrong way too. 
And maybe it was just my experience in this particular relationship, but I, I, I don't like that because I, I like to feel like we are in a relationship. When I split something down to the dollar evenly with someone, it's because it's platonic. That's how I treat my coworkers. Mm-hmm. That's how I treat my friends. When I'm on a, mm. when I'm on a date, when this shit is romantic and we're going to go back and, you know, go to pound town, I want there to be some romance and like whatever involved. That doesn't mean the man always pays, but I do think I prefer switching it up. I like it when someone pays because that makes it feel to me like it's an actual date. Like this is, it's clear that this is a romantic engagement. Um, but I just think that right. who does it needs to switch up regularly so that no one's being taken for a ride. That's my stance as well. Um, because if you do take turns buying things for each other, it does basically even out. Yeah. I mean, you could become psychotic and like, you know, start adding everything up. Who's paying for what all the time. But that, but that's silly to me. Well, and yeah, I, I just feel like if you're, if you're pulling up your fucking bank, bank statement and you're like, babe, I spent $25 more on a couple activities yeah. than you did this month. Like you're just a fucking psychopath and you need to, yeah. you need to rethink being in a relationship because that's not how that shit works. Like the other thing to consider yeah. is that people are constantly at different points in their life journey. And just because you're in a relationship right. with someone doesn't mean that you're on the same page in terms of life. So like, we had plenty of people and I'm sure we'll get to these examples um, from the millennial group where they were like, yeah, I mean, I had periods in my life where I was making more money than my partner. So I paid for a little more. And then later when my partner was making more money than me, it was their turn, you know? So like, I think that context definitely counts. And to me, it's really bothersome when people start getting like super anal retentive about like decimal points and cents spent like please get a fucking life yeah and we will get to those um examples in a couple minutes i'm just to get back to my original story about this this gay couple and my friend being the one who pays all the time the other thing is that like this is kind of sad i was i was getting sad while while thinking about this just now um like he has a certain lifestyle and he wants to continue it, but he can't if he's asking his boyfriend to pay half all the time. Like trips, he, he, uh, I'm going to avoid going into details to not like give it away or anything, but he paid for his boyfriend's flight and hotel and shit uh, within the past year. And I was involved in this. And I was like, why would you pay for all that? He just shouldn't have come. It should have just been me and you. Why did he come as well? I mean, he's probably spent thousands of pounds upon thousands of dollars that that his boyfriend actually should have been spending to pay for himself. I was just like, oh, I mean, did he really? I guess my question is like, before I, I lay out any judgment, right? Because it's their relationship and not mine. Like, one, did he really want him there? I'm assuming so. I guess so. I mean, I didn't, I guess I should have asked that question. I think he would have felt bad if he didn't get to come. 
like he has to stay behind but that's his own fault for not getting a different job and this guy has signaled to his boyfriend you need to to find a higher paying job well i guess i guess that's the thing like if it if it were a case where like they in their relationship had whatever dynamic they have and both parties were okay with all of that that'd be one thing but i mean if this guy has signaled to his partner that like Hey, right. uh, the amount of money that you I'm spending on you job. is making me uncomfortable. That that's a completely different scenario. So I see where you're coming yeah. from. Yeah, he's he he's put it in the context of you need a new job, mm. something that pays more. Um, and I think that's a good way to do it because it's also looking out for that for that guy's career. But yeah, I, you know, I know a few. I knew if, I know a few relationships like this, and I think ultimately people just settle. They're like, I'm just gonna go with this person because it's too hard to find a new relationship. Um, but then there's also this question, and I'm gonna ask you two for the answer because I honestly don't know it either. How do gays decide who's paying for dinner on a first date? Why would you ask us? I have no clue. Well, I because I don't know. I need somebody to tell me. I don't think... I mean, one rule of thumb that a lot of people go with, regardless of the nature of the relationship, is whoever asks the person out ultimately pays. Um, So that might give you like a hint. Like, okay, you asked me out, so you're taking me out. Uh, That said, I mean, that's just one rule of thumb that I've heard a, a lot. But... That being said, I don't really think it matters in either case, gay or straight couples. I don't think it matters. I think both people all the time should just offer. Just yeah. offer yeah. always, regardless. And then and then just see what fucking happens. And and then, you know, I think that like if there's a uh, a gay couple, one of the guys could say, "Okay, okay, I tell you what we'll do. I'll get it this time and you'll get it next time." Like that's I don't know. Right, right. When somebody, when somebody, whether it's a relationship or a friend, buys me something, like a drink, I'll always say, oh, I'll get the next one. Or I'll just get the next one. Like, I've been out with a group of friends where we each take turns yeah. buying the whole rounds. Yeah, okay. That, that's, a good, that's a good idea, Elisa. But whoever invited the other person out, that, that should be the rule. I like that. I honestly hadn't really thought of that before. We did get some listener feedback. We got a lot, actually over at facebook.com slash groups slash millennial show. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. We did read them all. We just won't have time to read them all on air. Um, Nicole said, my boy likes to pay because he works and I'm scraping by in school currently. I'm not going to turn down free weed. Yeah. See, that's exactly like what I was just talking about. (laughs) Like they're in a situation where like clearly one person is a little more financially stable than the other and i think that's fine like as long as both parties are cool with it yeah right and you you return the favor from time to time yeah exactly even even if it's something small you don't always have to buy something large if they're always paying for dinner and drinks you know that can obviously add up but if you just buy bay i don't know a fucking dollar menu cheeseburger from mcdonald's it's just it's the thought that counts you're trying you're doing what you can katie says when my boyfriend and i first started dating he paid for things almost exclusively 
Not only was he making more money than me, he's also several years older and more old-fashioned than I am. Now that I have a better-paying job, we split things pretty evenly. There you go. Mark says, "This is I now I've known of Mark for a long time. He's listened to the show for a long time, but and I knew he had a boyfriend, but um, part of this message shocked me. My boyfriend and I have been together for 27 years. Aww. And just have certain things we almost always pay for. He pays for meals if we go out. I'm the one that usually does the grocery shopping, so I pay for that. If we go to a show, I usually pay. The movies, he does. No idea if it evens out in the end, but at this point, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. And you guys have your system, and you are both paying for each other. It doesn't matter if it balances out and then one other example um people a a lot of this feedback hit on the same points um that we were bringing up and the same points as each other but it's been interesting to see everybody's individual stories nikki says my husband paid for almost everything while we were dating and engaged because i was in veterinary school and living on loans so pretty early on we had a mature discussion about the fact that we were planning on seriously committing to our relationship which means eventually it will be all our all our money so therefore it didn't make financial sense to pay for dinner slash movies dates with borrowed money that i would owe interest on now that i have an income as well and we don't even differentiate it's all our money that is a big step too right opening up that joint bank account Mm-hmm. That is, oh God, yeah. that scares the shit out of me. To be honest with you, and not me too, and that and, I, and I, that has nothing to do with like my current relationship at all. In general, <laughs> my whole life, mm-hmm. I have been terrified by like just by that prospect. Because you want to know why? Because growing up, I heard my parents argue over money and finances more than any other subject, and it's actually true that. The number one cause for divorce is not cheating and all that other shit. It's finances. It's people disagreeing over how to spend money, having different spending habits, um, not being transparent enough. And, you know, for the first 200 times, you get over it because you love the person and it's a great relationship otherwise. But after 2,000 times and 10 fucking years... It probably grates on you very, very slowly, and it just scares me. It just scares me to death. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's becoming a lot more common, especially in our generation, for married couples not to do joint checking. I have several friends who are married that they have their own separate checking accounts, and it seems to work for them okay. Yeah. My sister and um, my new brother-in-law actually have a shared one, but they use it primarily for bills. And that mm-hmm. seems like a smart way to go. So you each take money from your respective salaries. Let's say if you got a mortgage, let's say each of you take 1000 maybe, 1. 1.5, and you both put that amount into the joint bank account. I don't know if they do this, by the way. I'm, I'm just saying what I would be comfortable with. And then you use that for, let's say, the mortgage, the utilities, maybe some movie nights, maybe some dinners. And that, that seems fair to me. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think that's all we got for that discussion. Cool. Yeah, Pay no, for bay. God. My head's spinning. Because this just, <laughs> this makes me, this makes me so nervous. 
what for the future your your future joint bank account uh, yeah like i just <laughs> you don't have to have one no i know i know i know i don't but i i know it's just it's just very daunting to think about like all the financial aspects of a relationship i think it's nice earlier on when you don't have to and it's real simple you just you know well you get this and i get that but someday oh god money changes yep. everything what you do is you just maintain that separate uh, checking account. That way, when you're married, you can go and buy a, all of whatever. What what's like your favorite fast food that you don't want to tell people about? Wendy's. Wendy's. Ooh. Okay, so you can like go buy all the Wendy's that you want, and husband will never have to know. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, in today's After Dark, we're going to be talking about guilty pleasures. My mom actually frequently brings up, "Oh, can you order this? Because I don't want Dad seeing it in the checking account." <laughs> It's usually like a gift for him, but in other cases, there have been wanting to hide things from from him. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, money also brings down businesses. I mean, you know, half of MuggleNet staff left <laughs> because of money. Yep. <laughs> or lack of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, over money yeah. concerns. Um. Also, in After Dark, by the way, uh, I. I I just found by accident an old document that is a copy and pasted version of a, a, an AIM conversation that I have with oh Laura, March God. March second, two thousand seven, no. ten years ago. It's so bad. How did you find this, and what is the my, subject? Because because while. While we're doing this show, my brother emailed me, uh, asked me to take a look at his uh, his resume. And when I open it up, there's like this little tab that, that says something like, I don't know, you might be interested in. It's just a list of like documents. And I see one in there. I'm like, what the hell is this? I, did, I couldn't tell by the title. So I open it up and yep, there it is. Just, I let's see how many pages this is. <laughs> oh my god actually it's pages of course it's pages because we had no lives back then this one this one's actually only 10 pages it's not too bad but it's, it's oh my it's size nine <laughs> not too bad it's size nine font <laughs> talking about we're talking about like laura's vibrator and shit it's amazing <laughs> laura's like by the way lisa my mom totally knows about your vibrator because she's snoopy as hell and it just spirals. I'm sorry to interrupt with that, but it's okay. I think it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because um, a while ago, okay, so I used to have a Mac Mini, an old school Mac computer, and once I left it, I took a backup of everything, including my AIM logs, and I've got all my old aol instant messenger chat logs and sometimes i look back in here and i just want to vomit at the stuff i was talking to people about i should find some with you two and 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 publish them oh god (laughs) oh i still like especially do you remember like back in the day you would have an aim fight with somebody and then you would copy the transcript and email it to somebody else be like fucking look at what micah said yeah shit what was (laughs) what was your old aim name elisa um, I had RX Queen was like my original one, I think. 
I also just you had physical had like graffiti a, oh, too. What's that? You had physical graffiti. Yeah, too. physical graffiti oh, was also yeah. one. Yeah, and then I also had like a MuggleNet fan fiction, but Phoenix Wrath over here. Uh, Phoenix, yeah, that one I remember, Laura. I, you know, I, I think got, it, I, I don't even know what to say. I already, I got it all pulled up here, all of 2006 and 2005. Oh my god! Oh, I'm gonna god. dig these. We're gonna find some good stuff in here. Oh my god, we're talking. Oh my god, holy shit, we're talking. We're talking some serious like Harry Potter <laughs> fandom smack. Yeah, actually, I'm just <laughs> looking through some of these. It's all MuggleCast related shit. Probably us complaining about Eric. Okay, I have something here. April 2nd, 2006, at 3.26 a.m., Laura pasted me a message from somebody called Rachel. Oh, God. Do you remember her? Yes. 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 It says, I'm going to put a roofie in Andrew's drink and make him marry me. (laughs) And then you told her that I guess you were sharing the conversation and then she says, oh, my God, you bitch. Now he thinks I'm going to rape him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Oh, you know, I'm glad that's what you read. When you were like 326 a.m., I was like, oh, my God, what's coming? What's coming? <laughs> this is me. I was coming. Yeah. Anyway. I don't want to look through mine anymore. I, those are unpleasant memories of the past. <laughs> oh, my God. Coming back to the present here, though, we have a couple of A choice, AP choice submissions from our patrons at the Facebook official level at patreon.com slash millennial. Ashley says, hey, guys, I know the whole house housing thing has been beaten to death over the last couple of months, but I would like to know your opinions on this. I'm finally in the position to move out of my mom's place and into my own. Many of my coworkers and some of my family are suggesting I bypass renting a home slash apartment and go straight to owning. However, I'm apprehensive about this for many reasons, including fear of not being able to support a house on my solo income and my student loans costing me quite a bit each month. I'm really leaning towards moving into an apartment, but at the same time feel like I'm being pressured into moving into a house. How did you guys make the decision about housing that you're in right now? Thanks. I love the show. I made the decision about the housing that I'm in now because when I saw what rents were in my area, um, it became very apparent to me that having a mortgage was going to cost less than half of what the rents would. And I would ultimately be building equity in property as opposed to throwing money down the rent hole. That said, I don't think that walking into buying a house is something that you should do lightly. The whole point of building equity is to build it. And you can't build it if you're not staying in the house and allowing it to increase its value. So there would be absolutely zero point in you buying a house if you think that you might want to move out of it in one to two years. When you buy a house, you should realistically stay in it for at least five years to let it increase in value, to make improvements to it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So yes, I think financially, it's probably a smarter move in the long run. But at the same time, you don't want to dig yourself into a money pit with a house if you're not planning on carrying through with it. So and upgrading it. Yeah, exactly. If you know if you're living in the same city you already live in, in a theoretical new home, then I say you do it. For the reasons that Laura's bringing up about it being cheaper to start owning a home 
excuse me, owning a home now. Um, whereas with renting, you're just shitting money down the drain. One of the reasons I was excited we got this question actually is because I want your two opinions on something. So I'm planning on moving to Chicago and the the good angel on my one shoulder says, rent for a few months, make sure you like the city, etc., etc. That seems like the smart thing to do. But then the devil on the other shoulder says, just buy a house now. Don't get tied up with rents because because if you want to get something that's kind of affordable rent wise you got to get something that's unfurnished but then you got to pay to get the place furnished and I, i'm just honestly tempted to try and buy a place like you know starting within the next couple of months instead of moving to chicago renting for a few months and it's also hard to find a you know something that is just month to month instead of a year-long lease i don't want to commit to a year-long lease should i be smart and rent ahead of time i think you should (laughs) do an extended stay situation yeah like the like the literal extended stay hotels yes yeah i actually did look into those (laughs) yeah i think that i think i think going in and buying a house in a city that you haven't spent an extended period of time in is a very bad idea. Yeah. So I've looked at, I'm trying to look at different options like that. I've looked at Airbnbs, long stays at Airbnbs, but then I'm like, oh, fuck, what if I hate the guy I'm living with? And I've looked at extended stays, but like the cheapest are like way outside of town and they're not even that cheap compared to like renting or an Airbnb. So there's all these different options. If anybody in Chicago has any leads on what i can do to stay for a few months whether it's like taking over uh, somebody else's rent or if you need a roommate and you're cool and clean um let me know (laughs) and you're not gonna roofie andrew's drink yeah yeah (laughs) right if you're not gonna rachel me help me help me no but seriously (laughs) let me know because i'm 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 hoping to move in like mid-september we have one more comment here. This is from Jared. He says, hi, so I would love to hear what it takes to do a podcast. I'm interested in doing a podcast about law enforcement for law enforcement, but is actually honest about the problems in the practice and profession while still supporting the officers who do the job well. Could you guys talk about how you guys got started, the financial investment, and the time and energy investment, basically podcasting 101. Thanks. Love you guys. Elisa, Um, what starter tips do you have for somebody who wants um, to start podcasting? Don't start is my first tip. Oh, come on. No, I'm kidding. Um, I think, I think that, I think that who you do it with is really critical and you should be friends with them first. I don't think that you should choose people just based off of like, Oh, well, they're a professional and they really know this topic well. Who gives a fuck? Like, good for them. They're good in their whatever, they're good at whatever they're doing. But, like, you need to have, like, some kind of chemistry if you're going to have a podcast with people. Like, you need to be able to to talk really freely and know that, like, they get you and they're going to back you up, but also shit on you at the same time. That is a really, like, (laughs) tough line to walk. So, Mm -hmm. I think it's just, you know, 
making sure that you start with friends or at the very least people that you have like a really good like uh, relationship with. Um, what else? Well, financially, it's actually pretty cheap to do. You already have your computer. The, the one significant investment you would have to make is getting a microphone. And you want a USB microphone with good reviews. Just look on Amazon. We all use blue microphones. Um, they range in price from like 50 to $150. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they're reliable. They sound good, as hopefully you notice on this show. <laughs> and then like uploading can be free. There are services like Audioboom and Libsyn that will let you upload. Audioboom is completely free. I would actually recommend that one. And uh, don't yawn on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> tired. <laughs> that's how good. That's how good blue microphones are. Yeah, uh, pick up your yawns that you thought were very overt, covert. Excuse me. Plan in advance. Be fun. Be honest. Be open. Podcasts are experiencing uh, a renaissance right now because 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 people finally understand how beneficial they can be how fun they can be, how open they can be. They're not controlled by big corporations like Disney or these other conglomerates who own all these TV stations. People can say what they want in a relaxed format. And of course, not all podcasts are good. uh, But when you find the good ones, you really see the value in podcasting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd also say, by the way, especially when you're starting out new, pick one day to always do it on. Like, just carve that out in your week now ahead of time. Like, you, it, it helps to have consistency to know, all right, on this day, I'm not going out with friends. I'm not going to go grocery shopping. This day is, like, dedicated to podcasting. This is what I'm going to do now. Because that really helps you stick with it, helps you plan. Um, I, f- I, f- I find that, like, sometimes if, if you sort of just go week to week, like, Oh, what am I gonna do? What like what day are we doing this? Which we we have struggled with before. That it's hard to keep track of it. It's hard to keep up with it and make sure that all of your planning is done on time. So I think especially starting out, like pick a day of the week that works for you and and stick with it for months at a time. Yeah, I think that's something we struggle with currently. But true enough. Yeah, <laughs> not my <laughs> fault though. It's not your fault. Y'all I need to get it together. But it is what made me think of it. <laughs> <laughs> no we're working on it i i think i think uh i think we're in a, a good place right now my my final tip would be to do something that you're passionate about because if you're going to be doing it for a really long time you have to continue it it shouldn't feel like a hassle you should have a fun time doing it um so like with this show we kind of talk about what we want what we're all feeling passionate about that week if Elisa's mad that Star Wars 9 hired Jack Thorne, then we're going to talk about it. And yeah, she's going to rant about it very passionately. I thought it was good, by the way. So those are our tips. Those are our tips. And that actually does it. Oh, actually, I do have one more point I wanted to bring up. Uh, last week, I can't remember if it was the main show or After Dark, we talked about me potentially coming to Atlanta. And I looked into the flight afterwards... Uh, based on the dates that Elisa's going, turns out, um, um, 
my my flight that I already had booked back from Orlando because I'm going to be in Orlando while Elisa is there and goes through Atlanta on a layover. So I was like, hey, ladies, what if I just like come through on my layover and like just don't get on my layover? <laughs> <laughs> but then I was looking at alternate flight prices and it was too expensive and I'm not going to go. So sorry. All right. Well, they sound really torn up over it, but that's okay. You know, now I I feel terrible. I I muted my mic. Actually, Mark Mark is going to be really upset because when I told him you might be coming, he was like, "Oh, that's going to be fun." (laughs) Oh, with that hesitation too. Did he include that hesitation? (laughs) No, that was that was my hesitation. I I would like to come back to Atlanta though. So don't don't uh, throw away any thoughts of me coming just yet. Please, please. All right. On that note, thank you everybody for listening in After Dark today. Like Laura said, we're going to be talking about guilty pleasures. Why did they even exist? Uh, and also some of the shit that I uncovered from our 2007 AIM chat log. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger is actually one of the guilty pleasures we'll be talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> We would love your support over on patreon.com slash millennial. Um, quick plug for our Facebook group that we mentioned. We're always talking there, sharing the latest episodes, etc. Facebook.com slash group slash millennial show. Twitter.com slash millennial show. Facebook.com slash millennial show. All that good stuff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. And I'm Laura. Dedicate this song to the Mooch. Goodbye, Mooch. Goodbye, Mooch. Goodbye, Mooch. Goodbye, everybody. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Laura's Don't getting wet. You bother as direct you where to go. Candy's just hit the floor. Don't make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question, but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life.